Periscope. Uh, today I thought we might dive into something that I spent a lot of my time thinking about. Uh, in fact, I've spent like a minimum of three publications worth of time thinking about it, which translates to a minimum of about four months of almost exclusively thinking about explaining our topic, which is addiction. Uh, so just as like a small window into the life of a scientist, writing publications is about as brutal a writing process as possible. Remember writing essays for school when you were younger? Well, it's much, much more brutal than that. First, we're contacted to write a chapter or an article on a given topic. And then, once we agree, a month-long process of diving through hundreds of publications anywhere from less than a year to over 60 years old begins. Then, you have to organize all the information into something coherent so that it makes a modicum of sense. Then, after about two and a half weeks of journal diving, you start the writing process. Some scientists loathe this part. But it's actually my favorite part, believe it or not. <laughs> However, after about two weeks of waking up, eating, writing, eating, sleeping, waking up, eating, writing, sleeping, you submit it to a journal. That's when the brutality really begins. Somewhere between eight to 12 pairs of eyes scavenge your publication for opportunities to alter it, all of whom feel obligated to make some sort of edit to justify their participation. This, this is where any possibility of interesting writing goes to die. It's where technical science writing becomes inaccessible to non-scientists. Inaccessible because sentences that were once moderately interesting to read are so watered down with the lowest common denominator of adjectives that it takes someone uninvolved with the research at least 700 milligrams of coffee to make it through. Anyways, all that to say, my current three publications are focused on different aspects of addiction to nicotine. However, because of the way the brain works, addiction to essentially any drug, as well as non-substance addictions, by the way, eventually converge upon the same circuitry within the brain. Each drug or behavior will activate unique auxiliary circuitry in addition to this central circuit, which is why cocaine, nicotine, and heroin all feel different to take, but they all share at least one thing in common, which is the activation of that specific circuit. All right. Ian, thank you for that very enlightening right. explanation of the graduate student writing process. Sure, that's, that's one word you could use, enlightening, sure. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so to get back to the subject of addiction. Now, <laughs> if you are of a certain age group, um, which I am, you grew up seeing these uh, PSAs about this is your brain and this is your brain on drugs. And it was right. like a whole egg versus a smashed and scrambled egg. Right, right. And clearly the message is, if you do drugs, you're going to become addicted and it's going to addle your brains. But tell me, what does addiction actually do to the brain? Sure. So this is another pretty big topic that's going to need to be broken down into several episodes of like increasing specificity. Uh, but to start, uh, the definitions of addiction vary quite a bit depending on with whom you're speaking. So clinicians, like psychiatrists or physicians, like to keep things pretty simple. Uh, from their perspective, an addiction is a psychiatric disorder associated with maladaptive and destructive behaviors that consist of compulsive, persistent, and uncontrolled use of a drug or engagement in a behavior. Does it always have to be something negative? Yes, yes. So for it to be an addiction, it needs to be negative, something that interferes with your life. And what if it's not something negative? What's that called? That would probably be something more like a compulsion. Uh, perseverative behavior. We have different words for those types of things, things that are sort of uncontrolled behaviors. But, um, but once it starts interfering with your life, and we would distinguish like addiction from something like OCD, uh, whereas you know, addiction itself is sort of intrinsically rewarding. And we'll get, we'll get a little bit more into um, why certain things are addictive. Uh, but but uh, yes, an addiction has to interfere negatively with somebody's life. Right. So, so scientists, um, as opposed to clinicians, uh, we like to make things a little bit more complicated and arguably for a good reason, because things are usually more complicated. 
So, um, so scientists tend to fall into two sort of unofficial camps that I'm going to call the wise camp and the kube camp. Uh, more specifically, the wise camp uh, believes that uh, positive reinforcement is what drives addiction, while the kube camp thinks uh, that negative reinforcement is a stronger driver. And why are those named wise and kube? <laughs> right, One yeah. clearly sounds better than the other. Yeah, right. I know. And they're weird last names, but they're real, they're real last names. So, so Roy Wise is a very senior investigator at NIDA, the National Institutes of Drug Addiction, while George Kube is a director of the NIAAA, or the National Institute on Alcohol Abuse and Alcoholism. And when I say there's two camps, it, it sort of implies that there's more of a disagreement than there really is. They agree on almost everything, circuitry, physiology, genetics, except for the primary driver of addiction. So that's pretty important, but it's not everything. And so the short story of the disagreement is that the WISE camp, the positive reinforcement camp, they think that it's the rewarding properties of the drugs themselves that drives addiction, and not necessarily the avoidance of terrible emotional states. But the Koob camp uh, thinks that the thing that distinguishes addiction from recreational use, for example, uh, is the avoidance of some negative emotional state. And so it's that avoidance of negative emotional states that's central to addiction. And so that predisposition to negative emotional states might be genetically inherited, or they might be induced during withdrawal from a drug that's been taken for several consecutive days, they disagree on a couple of other things, like how important dopamine is to the whole process, but those are the main points. So that's like either you're drinking because you want you find it fun and you want to feel that buzz versus drinking because you feel right. miserable and depressed and want to forget about your troubles. Yeah, that's, that's a great way to put it. And I know another aspect of addiction is also the withdrawal from addiction. Right. Yeah. Um, and so pretty much any drug that people take for fun is almost certainly going to induce some sort of withdrawal syndrome because over time, your brain is going to adapt to the chronic presence of the drug. And how do you define chronic presence? Right. So, so the brain is going to undergo like structural and neurochemical changes um, if a drug is present in the brain for a persistent uh, amount of time. And so I know that that sounds kind of abstract, but it can be anywhere, you know, several days straight to several months to several years. Um, it really depends on the unique nature of the drug itself and your own genetic makeup. Um, but the, the important point is that the brain is always going to change to bring the state of the brain to what it would have been before the chronic use started. And so we refer to this process, this adaptive process, as homeostasis. It's like it's the brain's physiological baseline, what it would look like and function like without being influenced by the drug. So it'll change the number of receptors, change the way the receptors behave, change the amount of a neurotransmitter or how connected different parts of the brain are to, to one another, all of which will make the brain resemble what it looked like before chronic drug use started. This process involves proteins to be synthesized, genes to be expressed, so it takes a lot of time. The problem is that the brain is adapting to the chronic presence of the drug. So when the drug is gone, the brain needs to re-adapt. This is what we call chemical dependence. It's not the same thing as addiction. That readaptation is what causes all the severe symptoms of withdrawal. So with the brain constantly trying to essentially normalize itself, it's kind of like how you need more and more of a drug to get that same high. Absolutely, yeah. So, so escalation of dosing. Yeah, and we'll definitely get to that a little bit later. But yeah, that, at the heart of why people escalate the dose is this, this chemical dependence, this, this adaptation the brain is essentially ad adapting to the fact that this drug is elevating some signal that normally isn't elevated. So we've seen withdrawal depicted in TV and movies. Uh, you know, there's always someone that's pale and sweaty and in right. bed and shaking and incoherent. 
Uh, is that accurate for withdrawal for all drugs? You know, it actually is pretty accurate. My, my favorite, or, or at least my favorite, the most accurate I've seen is a movie called Train Spotting, where it's a movie about, about a bunch of heroin junkies. But in any case, every drug from heroin and methamphetamine to nicotine and cannabis will induce some collection of symptoms that resemble what you're describing. Uh, some drugs will induce more severe symptoms than others, right? Like withdrawal from heroin will be much more severe than withdrawal from cannabis. But that doesn't mean there's no such thing as withdrawal from cannabis. Okay, but don't a lot of people say that pot doesn't have withdrawal symptoms? Yeah, yeah. So this is like a really common argument among cannabis advocates. Um, it's certainly true that the withdrawal symptoms of cannabis are like considerably less severe than withdrawal from a drug like heroin. But that just doesn't mean that the drug doesn't induce withdrawal. It does. Uh, and it, it's, it does the conversation a disservice to um, disregard or pretend like it doesn't. Okay, so why is it then that withdrawal symptoms are different for different drugs? Yeah, great question. And, and it basically boils down to about two things. The first is the way a drug interacts with the receptors and protein in the brain that it binds, um, which translates to how the brain changes after chronic use, and also... Uh, the parts of the brain that, that the drug activates. So let's compare alcohol withdrawal to something milder like cannabis withdrawal. So alcohol alters a very large variety of signaling in the brain, but one of the most important things it does is boost the activity of a neurotransmitter called GABA, which is essentially like the brain's off signal. The activity in almost every circuit in the brain will result from a balance between an on signal and an off signal, the off signal being GABA. And like we said earlier, in the brain of an alcoholic, the brain is going to reduce its own GABA signaling because ethanol has artificially boosted the GABA signal. Now, when the alcohol is gone, when the person stops drinking, the brain has much lower GABA signaling than it had while drinking. So the person begins going through withdrawal. Because GABA is involved in almost everything, and the off signal is so important to balancing activation of circuitry in the brain, if the person regularly drank quite a bit and the chemical dependency was quite severe, there can be too much of an on signal for the brain to handle, and this can result in a seizure and death. Cannabis, on the other hand, doesn't directly alter a neurochemical that's central to circuits in quite the same way. Cannabis has compounds like THC, tetrahydrocannabinol in it, which bind cannabinoid receptors. While cannabinoid receptors participate in a very wide range of signaling in the brain, in fact, they're one of the most numerous receptors in the brain, they aren't as central to everything as GABA is. They typically just alter the activities of other neurochemicals. So, while having altered cannabinoid signaling can be quite unpleasant, it's not as severe or dangerous as having too little GABA signaling. So I've heard you say on Periscope before that it's very rare, you know, mostly impossible to overdose on Cannabis. Right, with all those caveats. So, so it is theoretically possible to overdose on cannabis, right? But the LD50 is so astronomically high that it, it's, it's never happened in history, right? All examples of people overdosing on cannabis um, involve the use of other drugs uh, concomitantly or at the same time. And so while it is theoretically possible, no human has been able to achieve it yet. And we've had some dedicated <laughs> attempts uh, so for all intents and purposes, it does seem largely and practically impossible, at least. Regardless, all these unpleasant symptoms of withdrawal are part of what the Kube camp of addiction scientists would call negative reinforcement. Okay, so that's the negative reinforcement. And the positive reinforcement from the wise camp... That's right, yeah. <laughs> ...is referring to the happy effects that the drugs induce in the first place. That's exactly right. Okay, so how about all the other things that people... And say that they're addicted to, like gambling or sex or 
even Justin Bieber. <laughs> <laughs> right. So this is why I think the clinical definition of addiction, the engagement of a drug or a behavior in the face of negative consequences, is a bit easier to digest. It just clearly encompasses non-substance addictions. So by this definition, I am clearly addicted to Candy Crush. And I know it's not a good thing, but I do it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> well, the first step is recognizing that you have a problem. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So um, who's right? Wise or Coob? <laughs> okay, well, so, so they're both clearly right in some ways. I think combined, the two models clearly account for both sides of the same coin. And I think that's what each model really does. They're describing just different characters in the same play. The reality is, at the level of circuitry in the brain, the positive and negative emotional states that these drugs induce emerge from almost the same exact circuitry. It's like the first dose of an addictive drug lifts a pendulum to one side, raising mood in the form of a short-lived high. And that's the positive reinforcement. But then, when the effects wear off, the pendulum falls to the opposite end, causing a reverse of a high. This is the negative reinforcement. Then, as somebody starts to try and achieve the same effect, that same first high, progressively greater doses are needed, which often results in that classic downward spiral that many addicts unfortunately experience. For some drugs, increasing doses isn't as dangerous as others. For example, escalating doses of cannabis to get the same effect as a person had their first time isn't as dangerous as escalating doses of heroin to get the same high. A high enough dose of heroin will stop a person from breathing, while cannabis doesn't present the same threat. So, how about the treatments for addiction? Yeah, okay. So, so I mean, this episode could go on for a long time. Obviously, I can talk about this for a long time. Um, but there's a lot to unpack, like how certain drugs are addictive in certain ways and in some people and how um, other drugs aren't or how some people are prone to addiction while other people aren't. So you're going to leave me with a cliffhanger here. <laughs> right. That's not quite the idea. I just don't want to burden our listeners' ears too much. Um, but I, I think most importantly, we can definitely look forward to a conversation about what the future of addiction medicine might look like. And just as a preview, uh, the future, there, there's good reason to be optimistic. Um, there's a lot of research suggesting that there are better ways um, to target these specific things that are going on in the brain that underlie addiction. challenge for you okay <laughs> how many words for pot can you name off <laughs> all right let's see we got cannabis pot weed grass skunk uh, uh swag um uh mexican brick <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh oh oh uh 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 mota <laughs> Um, what what did the hippies call it? Doobies? <laughs> I don't know. I've heard of like Mary Jane. Or Mary MJ. Jane. That's a great one. Yeah, marijuana. I guess I don't think I even said marijuana. <laughs> <laughs> um, reefer from Reefer Madness. Can't forget Reefer. Uh, okay, I think I'm maxed out there. <laughs> <All right. laughs>